Hello Bulls fans and welcome to another episode of Bulls HQ. Thank you for joining me again this week as we take you through the latest news, analysis and game action surrounding our Chicago Bulls. I was away on a little mini holiday last weekend, so apologies for not being able to record a show last week, which which turned out to be a pretty good one for the Chicago Bulls, who, despite only having a 1-5 record over their last five games, they did have some pretty solid performances against the Nuggets, Pacers, Rockets, even a win against the Knicks, as well as a pretty good performance against the Pelicans too, so... There are some things to be concerned about, as there always are with a rebuilding team, but I also think there's been some real positives here as we review the first few weeks of the season, and joining me to talk now about our beloved Chicago Bulls, he's been here the last few weeks, and he happens to be the lone inhabitant of the Jabari Parker Island. He is Mr. Frederick Pfeiffer. Fred, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. It's lonely out here, brother. How are you doing, man? I got the whole island to myself. Well, look, I'm, I'm pretty cozy here. There's a lot of uh, Jabari haters, I guess. So there's, there's plenty amongst us, but not necessarily much, uh, much fanfare for Jabari at the moment. Which I don't really understand. I got to be honest with you. I mean, 20, he puts up a 20-point game against the Pelicans, arguably one of his best offensive games of the year, probably, uh, without a doubt, his best offensive game of the year. 13 rebounds. Uh, gets to the line eight times. I thought he was fantastic overall. And yet, if you go to Bulls Twitter, all you do is see the highlight of the two or three mistakes that he's made. It's so frustrating to me. I mean, I understand it. People want to be right. People don't like him for whatever reason. He he doesn't always give 100% defensively. No player does, but I think we do notice that he's uh, definitely, he needs to work on that. There's no, there's no doubt about it. But as an offensive player, a few guys are more skilled than Jabari Parker uh, for his size. Uh, you know, I, I wish there was a way this would work out, but even I have come to the realization this will probably be his last year as a Chicago Bull. What say you? Oh, I'm completely fine with that, Fred, as you could imagine. <laughs> but let's get straight into this thing because it's not just you and I, Fred, today. Even though I love your company, we're not alone today. Instead of it just being me and you going back and forth with our usual nonsense, on today's show, we're extremely fortunate to be joined by a great guest, someone you and I both listen to on the airwaves on a regular basis, and I'm sure someone the listeners of this show know all too well. Along with his broadcasting partner, Tom Waddle, he hosts the ever-popular Waddle and Sylvie show on ESPN 1000, taking care of you on your drive home from 2 to 6 p.m. during the week. I'm of course referring to Mark Sylvie Silverman. The man is a passionate Bulls fan. He wants to talk Bulls, and he wants to talk Bulls with us here on Bulls HQ. Sylvie, thanks for jumping on our humble little show, mate. Well, I can't believe it. I mean, this is uh, this is history in the making, isn't it? And and it just shows you that social media isn't all bad these days, that it could bring people together, and it brought the three of us together on a Friday night. Yeah, exactly. Thanks for taking the time out of your Friday night. We really do appreciate that, obviously. You put your life on hold to talk with two lunatics here on the podcast, and I'm <laughs> sure when you were setting out your your career plans, you're at the pinnacle of Chicago sports radio at the moment. But I'm sure when you were setting out your career plans, you definitely had in mind to to get on a random Bulls podcast and speak to two lunatics. <laughs> uh, two lunatics. I'm sure you had that in mind. Yeah. Well, look. I mean, we we've all been there, and this is why we do what we do. Is just because I'm on Chicago radio and Fred does what he does, and Mark, you do what you do. It doesn't make the love for the team any less or more. And, you know, it's the one thing I try to strive for on our show is, and I think Fred understands this, is mm-hmm. that, like, I, I, like, I always take offense when people are, think that I'm, I form an opinion because I'm on the radio or because, you know, I'm in the, quote, media. You know, down to my core, uh, 
I'm just a diehard Bulls fan who wants the best for this team and want this team to win out of out of the you know the major four or five teams that are root for the Bulls are number one you know close second to the Cubs the Cubs are number two but the Bulls are my that's my team well I mean we're gonna we we're gonna ask you about that I wanted to learn a little bit more about where that fandom sort of started because obviously you're on the radio you have a professional relationship with the Bulls but also all the other teams in Chicago but Beyond that, based on what you just outlined there, you, you are a fan of the team pretty much just like we are. So where does this this whole thing sort of start for you? Where did, I'm assuming it started as a kid or maybe in later in life, but where did your fandom for this uh, team all, all begin? Yeah, as a kid, as a very young kid. So um, my grandfather was a season ticket holder for the Chicago Bulls in their in their first season at the International Amphitheater before the Bulls even played at the Chicago stadium. And, um, later in life, my uncle took over those season tickets, but my grandfather and I would go to all the games. So I started going to games probably in 1975 or 1976. And we had seats on the floor those days. We'd go with two of our neighbors and we had four seats together to sit on the floor. And and there were, you know, five, 6,000 people was right after the Dick Mata bulls. And so mm-hmm. they were just, they, they weren't very good at this time when I started at least having my first memories of all that. And, um, you know, it was the Reggie Theus Bulls, the Artist Gilmore Bulls. And mm-hmm. I just remember going and falling in love with the excitement level and the noise in the Chicago stadium and going home and pretending I was Artist Gilmore and Reggie Theus on my Nerf hoop in my bedroom in Skokie. So, and, and, you, you know, I got in on the ground on the ground floor. You get in with a team who who stinks, and if you have a love, then you're gonna love them at all costs at any time. And you know, I was just fortunate to to love the team in the '70s and then into the early '80s, and then, of course, when Michael was drafted in '84, and and then from there, you can only imagine where it went. It it just you know the the Bulls then started selling out games and. My love grew in my senior year of my high school, uh, my senior year in high school, my grandfather and I went to 39 out of 41 regular season games. So, yeah. So, you know, this, this goes down to my core. This is my roots as a, as a, as a child. And, um, it's truly a love. So outside of MJ and Scotty, then who would be on your Mount Rushmore Bulls? I think you got to put Jerry Sloan there, don't you think, Fred? I mean, sure. Was a, no, but I mean, was this a, is more personal to you. Oh, my favorites? Yeah, your four favorites outside it, but don't, but don't put those two on there. I mean, that's um, it's so hard. I mean, Kirk Heinrich, so Sylvie, is he on there? <laughs> what that? Kirk Heinrich, is he on there? Yeah, right, oh. Kirk. <laughs> Are we going to start that argument? Between <laughs> no, 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 no. We we can put that to bed. <laughs> Sylvie, we're simpatico on that one, believe me. Holy <laughs> guys. You know, believe me, I have overloved in Carmen DeFalco, who's on the radio station, and I used to get into arguments over different Bulls players who throughout the years I have overloved. I had an un I had like an way over the top love for Ben Gordon and oh. used to just yell at people that he was great. And <laughs> he was great. He was He was great. great. He could shoot it. And um, I had a huge love for Andres Nocioni. So like with some of the modern and, you know, in more recent times, my two favorite off these 
last last group of teams uh, would be Noah and Rose. And, you know, because mm-hmm. of the way the Rose stuff ended, you know, probably if you're going to ask me, hey, in the modern era since really 2007, 8, 9 in the last decade, who's your favorite bull? I would probably say Joe Kim Noah. But, um, you know, going back to some of those other teams, I loved Kukoc. I loved Horace Grant. It, it mm-hmm. tore me up when the Bulls got, you know, when they when they had the falling out with Horace Grant and he went to Orlando. That just yeah. killed me because he was he was everything that we wanted in a Bulls player. He was a guy who just did the dirty work and didn't need to be featured and fit in perfectly as a winning player with Michael and Scotty. So that's a long-winded answer in saying I don't have four guys that I could put up there. There's more than four. <laughs> No, I mean that's fair enough. There's, a, there's been so many players throughout the the history of this team that um, I, I guess it's a personal choice. But there's so been so many players to love over the years, particularly those defensive type first players that the the city of Chicago typically sort of gravitate gravitates towards. So, yeah, I mean each 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 person has their own list of Mount Rushmore guys. But let's get stuck into the current iteration of Ball Sylvian. I wanted to talk with you about Fred Hoiberg because getting you on here, this is probably the topic that was the, or I guess, the impetus of getting you on our on our humble little show here. So I wanted to talk to you about Coach Fred Hoiberg because it's one of those topics probably the most spoken about amongst Bulls fans at the moment. It's seemingly swinging one way, but I'm probably on the other side of the fence at the moment. But I wanted to talk Hoiberg with you. I know Fred and I disagree on this, but I wanted to get your general take of what you think of of Hoiberg as a coach at the moment, what do you think he's been doing well, not so well, and and just his general place going forward? Yeah, look, I, and and like I always preface everything I say about Hoiberg as to I was on management side when it was time for a change, and I actually when they hired Hoiberg was a big fan of the Hoiberg signing. So this is like this. Like mm. Some people think it's personal with me with Fred Hoiberg. But initially, I thought he was everything you wanted as a coach, that he was a modern um, uh, pace and space coach, that, that they, would, they would get it up the floor and they would shoot it and spread the floor. And he checked all the boxes. He was everything that Tibbs wasn't and kind of what they grew tired of, that he understood what it was be, to be an NBA player that he wasn't going to kill all of the players as far as minutes and practice. And he'd, he'd relate to them better. He had had coaching experience on a major college level at Iowa state. And he was an assistant general manager under one of my favorite guys in, in flip Saunders in Minnesota. So he knew what it was to run a front office. He knew what it was to be a head coach. He knew what it was to be a player in the NBA. And then to me, everything's fallen flat. The criticism that I get to my criticism is that Fred Hoiberg has been done wrong by management. And I can't argue with that. The Bulls have changed this team up a ton and they haven't given him a ton to work with. But I can't think of anything to gravitate towards as to what Fred Hoiberg does well. I feel like he plays the wrong guys. I feel like the Bulls don't run offense. When it's time to get baskets late, it's still ISO ball. And I feel like he doesn't understand that player development is number one and that I don't feel like a lot of these younger guys have gotten better under him. So, Mark, I don't want to be too hard, but I truly, in my humble opinion, don't feel like he does really anything that great. 
I mean, I certainly understand all those points and I think you've articulated them pretty well there and certainly better than um, some of the fans you'll hear speaking about the coach who, as you could imagine, are pretty hot on this topic at the moment. But look, I don't know if I generally agree with you on the, the fact that the players haven't necessarily developed. I think we've seen good things from Bobby Portis. We've seen good things from Denzel Valentine. It's, it's hard to say with Larry Markin, obviously, because he only had the one season. But even Chris Dunn, I thought he took a step forward last season. So it seems to me like the players that are actually worth a damn have improved under Hoiberg. But I, I sort of understand what you're saying as well. Well, in, in, look, I know Fred hates Tibbs. There was a <laughs> lot of things. <laughs> there was a lot of things that I, loved about, uh, that I loved about Tibbs. And, and like just through the history of Bulls coaches... The one thing that all the good coaches have done when they first took over, and I'll even throw Scott Skiles in the mix, because as soon as he came, they turned it around. They weren't expected to win, and then next thing you know, they were winning 50 games. Is all these coaches arrive and they establish a culture immediately. Even if not all of the players are coachable, they demand the respect, and they have a presence, whether it's Skiles, whether it's Tibbs, um, whether it's going back to Doug Collins when he developed a young team and of course, Phil Jackson. And I feel it's something that Vinny lacked. And I feel it's something that Fred has lacked where there's no true culture. Like I, I don't yes. think there's much presence from Fred Hoiberg. And I wish his, I wish he was a bigger figure than he is. I mean, that's tough to argue against. I mean, he's not demonstrative on the sideline. He's not overly, He's not overly passionate on the sidelines like we see our old friend Tibbs used to be or even most of the coaches around the league. So I certainly get that standpoint of what you're suggesting there. But I don't know. Do you think the perception around Hoiberg is a little bit different if he doesn't come in and starts coaching that that squad that, that the front office perceived to still have championship aspirations? Do you think if the Bulls had been rebuilding, say, say, say last season, if that was the first year under Hoiberg, do you think the perception around him would be completely different? Maybe I, it's still like, it's still dry. would drive me crazy though. If he doesn't get the ball to Lowry marketing when there's five minutes left in the game. And I watched possession after possession of Lowry, not even touching the ball. And like, that's mm-hmm. something in player development that I saw happen a lot last year when it was time to win the game. They didn't ever include Lowry marketing in working the basketball or like when Fred pointed out this year, when Jabari Parker was in defensively and Wendell Carter was on the bench for an important possession, those little things. But look, Mark, you bring up a good point because just like any player, how it's important to gain confidence early in their rookie season as a player, I think it maybe would have done Fred better if the front office set him up better with that first team. And maybe he would have found confidence quicker And then it could have gone better. But there's still a lot where I just don't like what I see. Yeah, yeah, just to jump in really quick. The front office did a fine job this first year. That team was 21-12. and The second half of the season had four catastrophic injuries to rotation players, which led to a 500 team. And it wasn't a terrible team. I mean, it was just – it was on the last legs there with Rose and Noah. And then I disagree completely with the following year. You had Butler, Nico – the great Nico Miritich, who Mark is one of Mark's favorite players, uh, and Rondo and Taj. I mean, like the team wasn't talentless. He should have been better than than we ended up. Just I, I don't buy this with Fred. And 
Um, I, I want to go back to one thing that you said about Tibbs, though, real quick, uh, Sylvie, if you don't mind. You know, has the tire fire there in Minnesota changed your opinion about him looking back? Is it is it possible that maybe the talent here was so great when you had two great interior defenders like Noah and Taj and, and Rose playing MVP level? Maybe is the is the is the story that about Thibodeau being the miracle worker uh, a little bit overstated? I don't, Fred. I don't believe so because, like, I saw Luol Deng stand in the corner shooting twenty two foot, you know, jumpers under Vinny Del Negro. And then when Tibbs came, Tibbs knew how to utilize him offensively and defensively. And I saw Derek Rose take leaps and bounds steps. You got to give credit to the players too, but like they were playing at shooting guard with Ronnie Brewer and, and um, yeah, but, yeah, they had Corver on this team and he wouldn't even play him. It's well, well like, it, look, a lot of the minutes, both good and bad was always something that it never sat well with me. But I always felt like whether it was Nate Robinson running point or it was the collection of shooting guards that they ended up getting and never could fill with Derrick Rose in the backcourt, that Tibbs always maximized the talent that he had. Believe me, he's not blameless. He did a lot of stupid stuff. And what's it, and it's accurate what you said, the tire fire in, in Minneapolis. A lot of it's his doing and a lot of it is his stubbornness. He doesn't know when to check himself. And that's always been one of his worst worst attributes, but I still believe he's great at coaching basketball. So bringing this back to, I guess, the modern day Bulls, we, we could probably, look, Sylvie, Fred and I, we could go on about tips for a long, long time. So let's bring it back to the, the current day Bulls. And I want to talk about another contentious issue. We've talked Hoiberg, but outside of Hoiberg, the other topic that I guess has Bulls fans all up in all up in arms at the moment is the Jabari Parker experiment. So for me, just to give you an update of basically where I sat on the whole thing, I pretty much hated it the moment it happened. I had no faith in it working out at all, particularly for, from the fact that the Bulls wanted to force him into small forward, which is a position I just thought he had no chance in playing. As you can imagine, Fred probably thought the opposite. He was very high on Jabari and thought he could revive his career in Chicago. And obviously Fred wasn't alone in that thought, but Obviously, it's early. We're only 12 games into this thing, so things can change. But what are your early season takeaways of the Parker experiment thus far? I think it's weird all the way around. I mean, I was more with Fred than I was with you about Jabari. I thought they have the room, and they haven't gotten creative with making trades to fill that spot with expiring deals or whatever. So I thought, why not sign a guy with room on a one-year tryout? At best, he he lives up to what he was supposed to be back in the day. At worst, maybe he 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 shows you at least he's a good enough scorer where you can flip him for something. And yes. I, you know, I just I I watch him and I I you know it it's mind-boggling. On, and I've had Jabari in studio many times when he was in high school, and he was a great kid. I don't understand how he could show no want to play defense. I mean, like, and we say it all the time on the show, Zach Levine is not a good defensive player, but Zach Levine tries to play defense, and he's working at it. Um, Jabari Parker seems to have no use to try to play defense. That said, he's got a gift where he can score. And it's, yes. it is a, it's a clumsy fit, like you said, Mark, but I'm hoping still that there will be a team who needs a scorer and, a, and maybe he can get hot like Miritich got hot 
and maybe we can get an end of the first round pick. Now that's that's probably fantasy world, but that's where I'm crossing my fingers at this point. Really quick, Sylvie, do, do you see this? I've seen this throughout the years. Some of my favorite players have been offensive-minded, defensively deficient players. Ben Gordon was one. There was a huge swath of Bulls fans I get in these arguments with about, you know, he doesn't play defense. I saw it with Paul Gasol. I saw it, and I'm seeing it with Jabari now. I mean, he puts up a 2013 uh, the other game, the other night. He gets to the free throw line eight times, and there's value in that. And all I see are the three mistakes he made over and over on Bulls Twitter. And do you agree with me? Do you see this kind of pervasive, uh, just just a bias against against offensive first players in the, among the fan base, or is that something I'm just imagining? Well, look, how old are your kids, Fred? My my daughter's uh, 13. My son's 10. All right. So if you're 10 year old, after Ben Gordon, by the yeah. way. So. <laughs> let's say, ben. let's say Ben is had a great day all the way around. Did well at school, um, you know, uh, listened to you all day, but then you walked up into his room and he was lighting matches and setting paper on fire. What will <laughs> stick out in your mind the most? Not that he was good all day, but what the hell are you doing playing the matches in your room? Like, and I just think that it's so egregious, those two or three things, what Jabari does or doesn't do, because again, Maybe Ben Gordon wasn't a good defensive player, but Ben Gordon would compete. Maybe Paul Gasol wasn't a good, and like Paul would give up at times too, but at least he blocked shots. Jabari's more like a boozer type defender, where yeah. simply he would just be standing frozen, yelling at someone, and you'd have no clue why he's over there. So I think those are the reasons why those errors stick out more. Do you feel he's going to have, once Laurie comes back, he, there's, they're not even going to try him at the three. I mean, Holiday has just played 325 minutes, and he's got to the free throw line two times in nine games. Two times in nine games, uh, and I'm just like, what? what I I'd, I'd rather see, you know, Jabari fake it at the three than put up with this anymore. But you know, I'm I'm, I'm right. I'm, what do well, you think? Look, I mean, and this is what Mark and I were talking about on Twitter, and that I think initiated was my tweet about. My tweet was about Chicago sports and about I can't believe Coach Quinville could get fired, that Joe Madden's on the hot seat, and like Fred's okay, and he's playing Justin Holiday. And I get it that they don't totally all relay. I was hot the night before, and Mark, to go into one thing that I wanted to explain or just kind of voice my opinion on what it. I say about my show with Justin Holiday is during this rebuild and during player development. And anything, anything that I watch sports-wise, I always ask myself, what's the point? Like, what's the point in any of this? You know, what's the point? So when I say, and I ask myself about the Bulls, what's the point here and what's the point there? To me, what's the point in playing Justin Holiday? Amen. Justin Holiday isn't good enough to get you anything in the trade market. We saw that last year, or else they would have traded him. And Justin Holiday isn't good enough to be a part of the rebuild. So what's the point in him taking up 47 minutes or any minutes for that matter? I'd rather them call up a bunch of G League guys, try to take long shots and mine for gold, and maybe you find guys who will stick on the NBA roster. Because I just think we know who Robin Lopez and Justin Holiday are, and I think they're taking valuable minutes away from, in this case, Hutchinson, and some other players who I think could be playing. 
I mean, that's a fair point. I, I don't necessarily disagree with too much of that, but that sinks into the next question, which I wanted to ask you, and probably the final one that we will bring up for you before we let you get away. And that's just management in general. I'd like to get your take on that, but it sort of segues into what you just talked about there. If we're asking what's the point, what's the point of Justin Holiday being here in general? And I guess the question is, well, who brought in Justin Holiday and why is he on the roster? Right. So. Talk to totally. me about that more holistically, and I'll, I'll be interesting to hear about you. You know, from you, what you think management management have done over the last say uh, last eighteen months, let's call it, since the rebuild sort of kicked off. What what have you made of their draft picks? How have you sort of assessed their roster build? Obviously, you've been pretty clear of, of what your thoughts about bringing in guys like Lopez and Holiday have been, but just expand on that point and just bring it home with the team at large, particularly with some of these younger pieces. Yeah, yeah. Like, I think there's good and bad. And I just think this is what Fred and I argue about the most on the radio and on Twitter and everything like that is, believe me, I love John Paxson. John Paxson, you know, made my childhood better because of him as a basketball player and the accomplishments he had. What John Paxson did taking over for a legendary general manager was really good. The Bulls were in a wasteland when John Paxson took over the team. And John Paxson built not one, but two teams that you could be proud of in the way that they could compete. Um, that first team under Scott Skiles and, you know, with Ben Gordon and Lou Dang and Kirk Heinrich and everything. It was a fun team. It, it didn't have a chance to win the title, but it was good. And then the 2010 team, and he was the one who gave Tibbs the first coaching chance. He gets credit for that. He was the one who picked Derrick Rose ahead of Beasley. He gets credit for that. He was the one who traded for Luol Deng on draft day. He gets credit for all that. He was the one who took took Noah when everyone made fun of him and wanted mm-hmm. other guys. But I just think that when it's time, it's time. And a lot of good people in front offices say, hey, 10 years is enough, even when you've accomplished a lot. And I just, and Mark, I think you were getting at it a little bit. It's always been the front office that's put this team in this position. And I could zoom in and I could say the Jimmy trade was really good. The Jimmy trade was really good. It was time to get rid of him, but they were in that spot because of where this front office brought them. So they had to trade Jimmy. Correct. Now they maximized it. They maximized getting rid of Jimmy. And I think it's going to be really good. But I just feel like when you've been doing it since what now, Fred? Oh, three. Yeah, three or four. When it's been fifteen years, and, and and look, there are a lot of reasons why you don't get to where you want to go. But all front offices have different reasons why you don't get to where you want to go. When it's been a decade and a half, and you've only been to one conference finals, you've never been to an NBA championship round, you haven't won a championship. That it's just time to let someone else have a shot at all this. And I feel like under Jerry Reinsdorf, they're too complacent with the front offices. And they're going to, guard packs are going to get an opportunity to hire their fifth coach here. And I don't think it's fair that a front office who's only been to a conference finals once gets a chance to hire their fifth coach. I mean, that's as good as an answer I could have, I could have, have hoped for and, and pretty much sums up my entire feeling about the situation. But Sylvie, look, we've probably kept you long enough here, mate, but I've got one last question that I need to ask. And it's probably my most important question that I need to ask you and I want to just get your insights from from your from your studio, and when you see your producer sort of flagging down to you that we've got C Red C Red Fred on the yeah. line, 
What, what are your immediate thoughts when uh, when you get that call that the Fred's on the other line? What, what are you thinking at that point? I, I think you know how your mind could go a million a million thoughts in one. It's kind of that. It's like, oh crap. Oh good. Oh, what's he gonna say today? You know. But it's always it, like I I I love it because it keeps it loose and we bust Fred's balls. But but he cares about the team. He you does. know. He, he's he's also a lunatic, Mark, as you know. Of course. So, you but know, but smart I, I, look, yeah. and that's why, like, I would take time, like, on a Friday night at 9.30 Chicago time, 2.30 Australian time to talk to both of you. Like, like to me, it's amazing, Mark, that, you know, you're 31 or 32, I forgot what you said, and you live in Australia, but yet you know this team inside and out. You live in freaking Australia, and I think it's amazing, <laughs> and it's just... And, and it's so cool now how small the world is, you know, that we're sitting on here, three of us in different spots, and we could all talk about the same thing and everything that we want. We, we all want the same common goal. We want the Bulls to be great. But it's just so cool that here you come from your background in Australia, and here's the delirious, you know, Sea Red Fred, and, and, you know, here's me. But yet we could all get together on a podcast and – that's why, like, whether you say, well, our small show or not, like, I like, I don't think it's small. I think your love for the team is is great and big. And and that's why I would take time anytime to talk to you guys. Well, look, man, I really do appreciate those words. It was uh, more than kind of you to say all that stuff. But like I said a little bit earlier, Fred and I, Fred and I could probably spend hours talking to the Bulls, but we don't want to put you through all that. But we do appreciate you taking the time out of your Friday evening to join us. Um, and we, we really hope we can do it again sometime down the track. But like I said before, thanks for joining us. Uh, we really do appreciate it. If one day you get to Chicago and I knew you were tweeting about it, we'll do like a watch party or something. Whether yes. the Bulls are on the road, we'll all get together. We'll have beers and we'll just yap about the Bulls. And uh, That'd we'll be have awesome. a good time. And Mark, you're always welcome when you... When you come to town, you know who to look up and we'll take care of you. No worries. And likewise, if you ever get down to Australia, mate, I'll take you to uh, an actual football game where they actually kick the ball. Nice. <laughs> football, right? <laughs> yeah, Fred, you're the best, man. Good talking to you. Thanks, Sylvie. You're Sylvie. the best, too. Forward to you getting down there one of these days. Talk to you later, brother. So thanks again to Sylvie for joining us. Fred, we're pretty lucky to have someone of Sylvie's uh, caliber there. And, and, and the fact that he's... His status in Chicago, it's like I said before, it's pretty humbling for him to join our little show here. But uh, what, what did you make of that? It was, we were pretty lucky to get him on, I reckon. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's rare to get someone. He is definitely in Chicago, this city, one of the iconic figures in terms of sports radio. I'm not sure if you're aware. I, I, I know you have some sense of it in Australia, but unless you're really here, I mean, this guy and Tom Waddle are dominating or have dominated the scene here on the afternoon drive basically destroying the other competitor, which is the score 670, you know, for the last, I think it's been over five years, at least it may be, might even be longer than that. And the thing I love about the guy, he's so down to earth and he's, he's really from this city, you know, and it really shines through. He loves these teams. He has a genuine love for it. You know, Tom is a football hero here, uh, but he's not really from the town. You know, he doesn't have a, I would say a love for the teams. He's still beloved in the city, but Sylvie's kind of unique in that, in that, way that he's uh, really a guy who's uh, a local guy who's made it great and I can't say enough great stuff about him he's been super nice to me every time you know I have a thought or I get on the show they get me right through because I have a full-time job and it's always fun to chat with him and I know he you know appreciates although he's joking around I know he appreciates uh, 
anytime I'm on that show, I'm bringing something. You know, it's going to be a, a, an, ang- <laughs> an angle, a thought, uh, usually from a positive perspective. I definitely disagree uh, with his his last thought on on the front office. I mean, when you get back down, when you get when you step away and look at it, I didn't want to mention it to him because he's already heard it from me about a thousand times and what would be worthwhile to I say. I definitely it. wouldn't allow you to get in. Notice <laughs> how I cut you off at the end. <laughs> to defend him? I mean, when you get down to it, you look, the first team All-NBA, the Bulls drafted first, uh, first two first team All-NBA guys and no one rose. And we all know the story. They, you know, deteriorated into the point where Noah's not even a league. And Rose has kind of had a resurgence recently, but still, you know, um, that's the sad story here. And, and getting over that and in the contracts they sign is going to take time. I, I believe we're in the right direction. Um, and I don't I don't see anybody out there, especially uh, St. Hinky, that I would rather have run into this thing. So I know I'm on a line. I mean, I, I'm on two islands, I guess, at the same time. I'm on Jabari Island and, and Pax, Pax Car Island. Maybe not Gar. I don't I don't count him. But Pax <laughs> Island is kind of a weird place to be. I'm straddling two islands. Well, I mean, you with your... Uh, do you have an equivalent of a Wilson? What's your equivalent of Wilson out there on Jabari Parker Island? I got, I got a basketball I love. It's one that Doug Tonus gave me. I love that basketball. I spent a lot of time with it, dribbling it, shooting it. So maybe that's my Wilson. There you go. Well, I, talk to, I, talk to, I talk to it occasionally. I could, definitely, I could definitely picture that. But um, look, you're a, you're a local... T- uh, Chicago hero too, Fred. So don't undersell yourself that. I know you're a hum- very, very humble man, but um, you're a local Chicago hero too. So what I want to do now, whilst I've got you on the line, and I want to make this a regular thing, Fred, because I always love your stories, and I want to make a regular segment called Story Time with Fred Pfeiffer. So now that we're coming off that high of having Sylvie on the line, I want to hear maybe a good story that you have for me, and I just want to want to give you that chance to spruik something funny for me. So what do you got for me today on Story Story Time with Fred Pfeiffer? So this is the first time I've ever shared this story. I've shared the story where I played with Jakeem Noah yeah, basketball. That, and that was a classic. That was a classic. Well, there was an actual story uh, earlier than that. 2002, in March 2002. Now, keep in mind what was going on then. That was the the height of the Bulls, you know, probably Kraus desperation. So they were doing a lot of unique things at the UC to get fans reengaged. And uh, I won. I was one of 21 lucky people to win a Nike fantasy camp experience. It was on the Bulls website. I applied for it and I won it. Couldn't believe it. Um, It was a day at the United Center. You're going to get they're going to give you shoes, Nike shoes, a uniform. And you get to play before a game. You get uh, courtside seats to the game against. They played San Antonio that night in March of 2002 at the UC. And you get to bring one guest. So. When I won it, I was in the office. I got the email. I, I, I started screaming. And you could tell people were like, what the heck is wrong with you? It's the Bulls. You know? So that kind of shows you how bad we were at that time and, and how low the, the love of the team was that I would win something like that. Um, anyhow, but the, the, I was excited because my wife, well, my wife, she was my fiance at the time. We were getting married in two months. Never got a chance to see me at my athletic greatness. Never got a chance to, but this time she was going to get to see it on the United Center Court, me playing on a fantasy basketball game. So anyhow, we show up in about two hours early and there's nobody in the in the entire parking lot. The whole place is empty. So we had to wait for about an hour. Finally, a car shows up and the guy gets out. I swear, I thought it was Tyrone Corbin. He was probably about six, eight. It was amazing how tall this guy was. And he looked exactly like Tyrone Corbin. He wasn't Tyrone Corbin. How tall are you, Fred? 
I'm six foot. Six my foot wife off. looks over to me and goes, <laughs> looks over to me and goes, you're in trouble. <laughs> I did not expect to see someone randomly win that who was six eight. Anyhow, we go inside and they divide up the teams. Three, three of us, seven. It, it was so great. You walk out in the United Center court, look around, and I get assigned to three bulls come out. Eddie Curry, Jamal Crawford, and Tyson Chandler. And I'm on Jamal Crawford's team. And we, there's a little part where we work around, we talk to the players. I mean, it was the greatest. Those three were fantastic, absolutely fantastic kids. So I loved every minute of it. But the game starts, and the way they did it was, is they had, uh, they, they flipped coins. The two teams played each other, not my team, it was Eddie and Tyson's team. And the winner played our team. So I'm in the second team. We, we start the game. And actually, I, I actually asked to come off the bench because my strategy was 15-minute quarter, whoever wins is the champion. Um, you know, and I wanted to get these guys where they're a little bit tired, right? So I get out in the court. First time I get the ball, I pop a three at the top of the key, you know, a little bit higher than that. Goes in, and I'm, you know, right away, everybody's like, well, this guy can play. And I look over in the stands, and my fiance or wife now is reading a Cosmo. She didn't even, she wasn't watching. <laughs> she wasn't even, she was reading a magazine. I swear to God. So but maybe she was just taking I'm Daniel's stats. <laughs> so I'm upset. Anyhow, I, but I'm tearing it up. I'm on a roll, <laughs> eight in a row. Then I get a steal and we had a kid on our team who was mentally challenged. And uh, immediately the whole place realizes what I hand the ball to him and everybody in the whole gym realizes, Hey, this kid's going to do a layup, you know? Yeah, And the kid goes to do a layup, and the guy on the other team, I swear to God, runs and blocks the ball into the 10th row. And a, like a, a fight like almost starts. I'm yeah. not kidding. Yeah, I, I lost it. He, he, and he, and like, so the bench is cleared, and everybody, it was ridiculous. It was ridiculous that somebody would be that. But now I am so angry, and I'm like, I'm going to take this team out. So I go on suddenly I, I focused my anger it was like I had all five stones in, uh, in the uh, infinity and I am just playing out of my mind. I scored about 20 points in a period of about six minutes, just hitting shot after shot. Tyson Chandler was just like, did you play college? It was, it was one of the greatest moments of my life, but I was starting to lose it a little bit, getting a little tired. Make a long story short. I get a wide open three with four seconds left on the, in the corner and we're down by two. And I, and as I'm raising up, I'm thinking in my head, honestly, I'm thinking, man, I'm the greatest, all this, <laughs> all these, all these thoughts are going to my head. I'm going to teach this team for what they did to my, uh, to, to my partner. I want to teach them what it's all about. And, and I shot an air ball. That's fantastic. And my wife, she said that was the only shot she saw me take the whole time. <laughs> She was reading the magazine. She said, you didn't play well. I'm like, why well, didn't play well? I just scored like, you know, I was fantastic. She said, no, I, I saw you. You missed that wide open three. Oh, man. Shame it had to end that way because I was just about to queue up Chariots of Fire and just have that music in the background. But <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure if it's relevant based on that short attempt. <laughs> if it was earlier than that, it would have gone right in. But I was so tired. I think oh. that's what caused it. But I did think as I was rising up, I, those were the thoughts I had in my head is what, man, am I the greatest in an airball? <laughs> Pretty sure they're the thoughts you have in your head, your head just generally as you're strutting around town, I, I'd imagine too. <laughs> but, uh, look, that was a great story and so great, Fred, that I want to do this every week. So every week, homework time from you. I want to go. I want you to go deep into your memory back and just come up with a story. It doesn't necessarily have to be related to basketball, but 
you know, if it relates to the Bulls, even better. But I think you've got a lot of stories. You've te- you've definitely told me a lot offline, but I think they're so good. I want you to share them with the audience. But um, that was an absolute ripper. Thanks for sharing that one, Fred. Oh, no problem. The band was uh, that's the big story. I'll, I'll go into that deeply. Oh, and I, I want to learn more about note. that. I wrote two songs, one about Tom Thibodeau and Kirk Heinrich back in the day, <laughs> and they're unreleased. Well, I mean, this is a perfect segue because look, this. We've talked enough Bulls basketball. We had Sylvie on before. We talked plenty plenty of Bulls. We, we didn't necessarily talk uh, current day Bulls that much. We didn't necessarily go into game action or anything, any of that minutiae. But this is another thing I wanted to talk to you about is our bet. Now, oh, um, no. we talked about this last time and the fact that we wanted to revise our bet a little bit given that the Bulls have started slow here. They're 3-9. and nine. They got the game against the Cavs. Hopefully that's a win, but... We had the win total there set at 44 wins. If you go, if the Bulls go over, you win. If they go under, then I win. But given that the Bulls have started so poorly this season, we talked last time about revising the bet and maybe revising the term slightly, which means maybe we, we take that win total number down a slightly a little bit and in, in turn, maybe we just change up what the uh, what the terms of the bet are. But given all that, what, what are your thinking around that? And now that you've mentioned the fact that you have an unreleased song about Tibbs and Kirk Heinrich. Uh, I've been thinking that maybe if we revise the bet down to say 37 wins, that if that happens, because I'm being generous in allowing you to revise the bet down, that one, you have to wear that Heinrich jersey. That's not going anywhere. I know. I, I, I'm looking at it right now as we're recording. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I have it hanging up in my office. It's staring at me. Beautiful. I'm glad to hear that. But beyond that, assuming we're pretty much doubling double or nothing at this point that's effectively what i'm saying here now if i win i want you to wear that heinrich jersey i want to see a photo of you in that heinrich jersey on twitter but i also want to hear this tips and kirk heinrich song i need to hear it I, i'm going to show you one of those songs no matter what oh, i think the world needs it. i think the world needs to hear it it's so <laughs> both songs were very deeply emotional for me so i i know you're gonna love it especially the heinrich one um so yeah, let's revise the bet. Can we can we come up with some better terms than that? Like, well, I, I think that's we- great terms. I'll, I'll give you something else too. I'll wear that Valentine jersey, but I'll give you something else too. But let's we have to revise that number from forty four. Let's call it. I mean, I'm maybe thirty seven or thirty eight. What do you reckon? I know you're still high on the team, so you can't come at me now and say thirty two wins or something like that. I definitely tune into the Chicago Bullseye podcast, and I I constantly hear you. Still very high on the team, so you can't back away too far. Well, aren't you on the... I, I don't think I've asked you this question. Question: Now that you've seen them, I mean, do you believe if they were healthy, what do you think their record would be right now? I'd actually think it'd be pretty decent. I'd actually... Look, even with all these injuries, they haven't been far away in the last couple of games. And as I opened the show up, I, I mentioned that they had some pretty good performances against the Pacers and the, the Denver Nuggets. They obviously lost on the last, the final possession there against the Nuggets. Even though they lost by eight points against the Rockets, they they were in the game. It, it was a decent game from a team missing four rotational players. So I think over the last week or pretty much after that, just that embarrassing performance against the Golden State Warriors, the team has actually been okay. So I think if they had a full, a full complement of players, they may have actually been somewhere around 500. So in saying that, uh, whilst I'm not necessarily prepared to say they would end the season at 500, I thought they could have had a good chance here to be close to, you know, maybe not at 500, but you know, maybe a game or two off it. 
Yeah, that's the that's the saddest thing about this is that my my constant refrain of the seventh pick last year, seven pick this year, seven seed this season was was robbed of me due to all these injuries because it's clear they would have been the seventh seed, and it would have been so poetic and so great if that prophecy would have come true. But I wasn't un- unable to see their seven injuries. So, <laughs> what was your comment about my seven injuries yesterday? I I, I gotta admit your joke qualities have really really improved you've had two in the last couple weeks where i've kind of had to put the phone down and i admit that i've kind of chuckled and one of them was the <laughs> jabari your defense with jabari parker's better than jabari's actual well look i mean you can't call yourself a bull's prophet if you say you, you didn't foresee these four injuries plus three additional injuries that you're foreseeing now that are going to come our way. So you're probably the worst prophet going around, but <laughs> you, you can't be sprouting yourself as a bull's prophet here, Fred. Well, I'll tell you one prophet, one prediction I was right on. How about that Wendell Carter Jr.? Uh, Holy he, he did get that one right. My gosh, has he been something or what? So I had a tweet, before we wrap this up, I got to ask you this because I've been dying to get your opinion on it. I had tweeted something to affect a, a poll out there saying if a core of Levine, Markin, and Wendell Carter Jr., let's say that's our core in three, two to five years. Is that good enough with good role players around those three to win the title? Do you think that's possible, that they'll be a contender? Uh, maybe, maybe. They still need another perimeter player, and hopefully that comes in the form of a, a top draft pick here in this 2019 draft. Maybe not one of these Duke guys. I don't know if the Bulls will be bad enough to get a top three pick, but if they can land someone else who can contribute on the wing, whether it's a point guard or a small forward, I think if you add that player and that player, and if the Bulls can hit on a player of that sort of caliber, something similar to Larry Markkinen and Wendell Carter Jr., if they can hit on another player in three successive drafts and find another player there at, say, pick seven or pick eight or pick nine, that's what I'm assuming the Bulls will pick. And I think they have a, do- a decent chance here of being a pretty damn good team going forward, given the leap that Zach Levine has made. I didn't necessarily see him doing it. I thought he had the potential to do it, but I didn't necessarily bank on it. But I love what I've seen from Wendell Carter Jr. I'm all in on that dude, and I'm extremely high on Larry Markkinen too. So I can sort of see it, Fred, but I think they need one, maybe two more pieces, and then those role players to sort of fit in alongside of them. See, I think that role player can be at the three and just be a three and D guy. Well, it could be like Chandler Tra- Hutchinson, right? Or well, yeah, Chandler Hutchinson could be that guy, or it could be like you know, like a guy like a Trevor Reza. That's not an A player, but he he would fit in perfectly with what we have at the if Levine because you, you you can't you can't have four alphas, right? I mean, you got to have you know. I kind of like think three is the max, and then have role players around those three. I, I just kind of come to the conclusion; it's just hit me in the face that. With the the jump that Levine's taken, I think Levine, Markkinen, and Wendell Carter Jr. could be enough in three years. And then you build around that. But we'll see, man. We'll see. I think they're going to be too good to get really high lottery pick, though, this year. When they come back, it's going to be very similar to last year. And think about it. We were 3-20. We were 3-20, Mark. We already got three wins. That's true. But, I mean, just just how how nice would a Cam Reddish or an RJ Barrett or – even to Zion Williamson, how nice would they be on the perimeter right now? It, it's tough to dream about. I don't. I don't really want to see the Bulls tanking. I don't really want to be talking about tanking at this point. I, you know, it, it may make sense from a from a you know when you think from your head, but my heart just can't handle that at the moment. So, I don't really want to be talk, talking tanking this early in the season because that may be the case later on. But don't think I forgot about the bet here, Fred. You sort of diverted the topic, and I'm tipping you did that on purpose. 
So let, let's finalize it here because I don't want to. I don't want to spend time next week talking about it either. So what are we setting at? Thirty-seven or thirty-eight wins? Let's go thirty-seven. Thirty-seven wins. All right. So thirty-seven wins is the new is the new over under. If I win the bet, you wear that Heinrich jersey, and then you release your Thibodeau and Heinrich song. And if for whatever reason, in the rare chance that you win the bet, I wear that vet Denzel Valentine jersey. But what's the other thing that I'm adding for you? What do you want? Yeah, let me think about. Let, let me let's let's save that for next week. Maybe people uh, reach out to me via email or on Twitter with your suggestions. I'll take them, and then we'll talk about it next week. All right, cool. Well, we've got the important stuff down. The thirty-seven wins. So we've re, re, uh, re, re, revised that down to thirty-seven wins. So that's the important part. But look, Fred, as I said, I appreciate you coming on. You're a local Chicago hero too. Never forget that. Okay. <laughs> okay. Very local. <laughs> like within the. About 30 square feet, but that's about it. But anyhow, <laughs> I appreciate you saying that, Mark. Very enjoyable conversation with uh, with a hero of mine today with Sylvie and uh, a very good friend in you. Oh, it's good to hear. I'm glad you're part of it. And we'll talk again next week, Fred. Thanks for coming on. Sounds good, brother. Great job, man. Okay, Bulls fans. So that just about does us here for Bulls HQ this week. I hope you enjoyed this one. It was, a, it was an awesome one to be part of for myself. Obviously, we had Sylvie on the line and had a great conversation. With the guy who just loves this team, I think that was evident in listening to to him talk to Fred and I today. And for him to take the time to speak to Fred and I, I really do appreciate it. As I do appreciate Fred jumping on the line every week as well. So hopefully you you guys enjoyed this one. We'll be back again next week. In the meantime, follow the show on Twitter at BullsHQPod. Follow me on Twitter at MKHoops. And we'll catch you all again next week on Bulls HQ. Rose Davis, historian and co-host of the sports podcast, Burn It All Down. And now I'm hosting the new season of American Prodigy, all about Black girls in gymnastics. For the last 40 years, Black gymnasts have moved from the margins to the core of the sport and changed gymnastics along the way. Now, they tell their stories. You'll meet trailblazers like Diane Durham, superstars like Jordan Childs, and everyone in between. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.